0: Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics blog. I am Adam Motenko with me as always my twin
1: brother Josh Motenko. What's up Josh? What's up? Been with you since before the N1 mixtape Adam still here.
0: And Mike Minkoff. How's it going Mike?
2: It's going well. How you
0: guys doing? Doing well. We are talking today about game one against the Raptors. We're just going to spend the whole time reacting to what happened there. Uh, Mike, let me throw it to you first. Now, the the first question that that I had coming into the game was, was this regular season game between the Celtics and the Raptors where we blew them out, was that a fluke? Was that a bad shooting night? People on the internet are wondering, did Nick Nurse and the Raptors intentionally try to not win either as a psychological game with the Celtics or to not give away any of their strategy? And then we blew them out again. Is this a trend? Well, there's clearly some some sort of trend.
2: We're now four and one against the Raptors on the season series, but I don't I don't know. It's the Raptors are a bit of an enigma to me because all season they far exceeded, I think most most people's expectations. I th- you know there are some some of the elite NBA experts, quote unquote, whatever it means to be an NBA expert as an, an analyst. Um, aside from us, we're obviously all experts on this podcast. Uh, but some experts had forecasts of Raptors, I think, to be the two or the three seed. But most assumed after Kawhi left that they would kind of fall, you know, fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in that range in the Eastern Conference. And they've, you know, they were set the number two seed for a reason. They played phenomenally. Uh, Pascal Siakam took a leap. Kyle Lowry did Kyle Lowry things all year. Fred Van Vliet uh, has been an absolute stud, et cetera, et cetera. But for whatever reason, when we play them, we have not seen that team at all. Um, I uh, obviously we match up well against them. I think you know we talked in our last podcast about the kind of athleticism and versatility at the wing that we have, and even with Gordon Hayward gone, if you know if we're going to get five for nine shooting from three from Marcus Smart, plus all of his uh, you know beyond elite defense. That's gonna make up for the loss of of Gordon Hayward uh, even with uh, old friend Shemi Jolet actually finding minutes on the court <laughs> in spite of that. Um, but it, it's hard to think that this trend is going to continue for the duration of the series, you know, when we had our our predictions for the for how the series would go. I think Josh and uh, Josh, you picked, celtics in seven i believe i picked celtics in six and adam you i picked forgot your allegiances seven. and picked the raptors um i think i mean i still think it's going to be a six or seven game series i i think there's good reason to feel good about the celtics after game one obviously but um you know nick nurse is too good a coach uh kyle lowry is too tough a player um to Fred Van Vliet is too tough a player The I the one question I really have if I'm a Raptors fan after game one is is Pascal Siakam is I don't know if it's just a bubble thing he hasn't been good in the bubble uh really the whole the entire time or is it uh, I would have to go back and look more critically at his kind of past playoff numbers but is is he just not going to be able to perform at the level the Raptors need. And in because if he's going to underperform and, and play like he did in game one, which obviously from a Celtics perspective was helped by the refs in the early going, um, then it's going to be a, well, maybe a short series for the Raptors. Josh, I, I just, I just wouldn't bank on that.
0: Yeah, Josh, they, they started uh, with Smart guarding Siakam and then Shemi Ojale came in the game and, and bodied him up. And it seemed like they were putting players on Siakam who were going to be physical with him and force him to use his length and force him to, to uh, be tough on offense instead of being using his finesse. Which actually, to me, I saw similar. It was similar to the way that the, the Raptors were guarding um, Tatum with uh, Kyle Lowry. What did you see from Siakam, and do you think he can turn this around and be more effective in the series? Okay,
1: Siakam will have a better game too. Um, he he has moves where he's kind of leaning into you. He he kind of has these like post moves where he faces up and goes into like a running floater kind of um, in order to draw contact. He's just so good at like the euro step drawing contact, um, but. If you just stand where you're at and take the charge, that's a guy you can take charges on. And uh, we took two against him in that game. You know, Smart was really, obviously, really good at that, selling those calls, and that just takes confidence away because now you have got two, three fouls, and you're worried about that, and, and your mojo's gone. So I think Siakam's going to look at the film and be like, Yeah, okay, I can't just bowl people over. I got to have some more spin moves, and I got a euro step more around people instead of leaning into the contact because they're flopping on the contact. So he's going to see that in the film. He's going to be able to adjust to that, I think. But I mean that's that's the major issue with this team. You guys hit the nail right on the head. It's if if Siakam is your best player or Van Vliet is your best player or Kyle Lowry is your best player, you know, you you need to it's time to get engaged or time to get married. You're not putting a ring on your finger from the NBA. You know, like this isn't, this isn't, they're not number one options. No, none of those guys are a number one option on a team. And that's really what Kawhi gave them. Obviously, he's a superstar, but he gave them that Jason Tatum that moves everybody else, moves Kemba mm-hmm. over to his rightful number two slot. You know, that's where Siakam's supposed to be. And Van Vliet and Lowry are, are guys who are are supporting scorers and leaders, but they're not number one options. Um, And Siakam,
2: yeah, I was just gonna say Siakam's not necessarily even a a a number a number two option, right? He kind of he was in like the Jalen Brown role if you really break it down uh, last year with Kawhi because Lowry is really the one. Well, not not from an offensive load perspective, but just from a leadership perspective, Mm -hmm. it was you know the pecking order was Kawhi and Lowry one and two. And depending on the day, that could shift. And depending on the emotional need of the team, that would shift. Siakam didn't carry that weight, right? And so not having, you know, understatement of the century, not having Kawhi there to to stabilize is a big, big thing. It turns out in the playoffs,
1: <laughs> Siakam could could be a number two, and and I think yeah, he could be a number two option on a championship team. Siakam can, if he could shoot the three better, that's what's keeping him back. You know, he's, he's just so inconsistent with his shooting from beyond the arc. Um, and he, he was able to do it for a stretch two years ago. Um, and then during the regular season last year, he was hitting his threes. The playoffs he had, and in the bubble he hadn't. And it's like a really dramatic difference. Um, because, you know, he's down to you know, 28, 29% or so. He was a power forward in college, New Mexico State, in the Mountain West. And, and he added that part of his game late. Um, but the ability to shoot is so key today. The fact that you've got a uh, five guys who can run and close out, like we have a we have a center, a five man who can close out on corner threes, and that's super important. Tice's mobility, but if you don't have shooters out there, you know that it's it's not the same. Like you're gonna win when all positions can shoot, and with Anunobi and Siakam, and then maybe to a lesser extent Gasol if he's not hitting. Th- those that team is just not equipped to to withstand the loss of Kawhi. They could, if guys were just hitting their shots. It's that simple. So yeah. Lowry and Van Vliet, they're they're both good shooters, and and I'm
0: watching other games in the league, and I'm, I'm watching Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray go off, and I'm looking at who's guarding all of these players, and at at some point, I feel like we need to acknowledge that we have two of the best to wing defenders in the league uh, in two-way players with, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And so the fact that we can put Jason Tatum on Kyle Lowry and he's shutting him down, and I, you know it may be that Lowry is normally faster without a, a, a sprained ankle, but he's not getting by Tatum. Jalen Brown is shutting down Van Vliet at this point uh, and with Smart and on um, Siakam. That we're shutting down their best offensive players. Uh, so there's there's they don't have quick point guard like Kemba that can get into the middle of the defense. And so there's nothing really setting up, uh, the, the making the defense shift to create open shots. Even with their double passing, they're, they're not doing that. Um, and Gasol and, and Ibaka are not going to do enough to make that happen. And certainly OG Ananobi isn't. So I feel like we have to give a lot of credit to our defense here, more than I was expecting.
2: Yeah, and I think Josh nailed it, too, because Tice, you know, they they said it, Doris Burke, uh, amazing, amazing call of the game, Um, generally speaking. But she she commented on Tice, I I believe it was her that raised it, uh, as the number two player in the league in defensive RPM, which, you know, real plus minus flawed stat, but still, number two. In the nba over the course of the season was Dan, uh, daniel tice and it, it was really from from my perspective it was really nice just to kind of see have a chance after the fresh you know what what's a really frustrating and just bad matchup for tice against philadelphia this is like the opposite uh and really getting to see all of his skills kind of flourish he had 15 rebounds he had 13 points and he was as josh said was just all over the place on defense and his ability and his switchability and all of that, uh, you know, rotations, um, is, is essential to to that defensive cohesiveness that you mentioned. Um, but Tice, one,
0: one question just, I had for just to interject, oh, I had 11 rebounds in 12 first half minutes. Boom. Yeah,
2: very different story than against the, the 76ers, right? <laughs> totally different. Totally. Um, Adam, Adam or Josh actually, um, you know, one of the things that, so the first quarter of the game, we were up, what, 15, 16 at the end of the first quarter, something like that?
0: 17, um, 39, 39 to 23. 17,
2: okay. And then in the second quarter, the Raptors started to get close. They went on like a nine-zero run, eight-zero run, something like that to start the second quarter. And they had a couple of opportunities where, in my opinion, they just missed good shots um, taken by the right, like Fred Van Vliet, I think, missed one or two. Pretty open threes. Marcus Sewell, who's not your first choice, I think missed one or two open threes. Um, my question is, how? I mean, how much is what we're doing fully going to carry over on that fr- front versus just having pretty good luck to to take this from being what could have been a really wire wire close game, um, or at least second quarter on close game, to to being a wire to wire comfortable. Blowout, basically, for the Celtics. Like, Adam, do you do you think the the shots are going to start falling?
0: I I've been I, I like I said the first the regular season game. I assumed that that was just fluky, a bad shooting night for Toronto. After seeing it again, I, I don't think you can say that anymore. I think you have to say that the Celtics defense is causing this shooting uh, from Toronto. If they had a way to create offense to to get people open looks. I would think differently, but I
1: just I think our perimeter defense is too good. I hate doing this to to these pros because you know I could be so wrong because they're pros. But I feel like the length of the Celtics' wings defensively is is it's in the heads of Van Vliet and Lowry. Like the smaller the smaller stature of those guys, I think is being affected by the mismatch that Danny Ainge constructed with the personnel on this team. You know. That's the size difference is really hurting them.
0: I was tweeting with the, that's a wrap podcast who we did our preview episode for the series with. And they were saying, and I was asking them, so what adjustments do you guys make? Does Ibaka start over Gasol? Uh, do you have like, how do you get Fred Van Vliet open looks? And, the, and they were like, Oh, I don't think you need to make any adjustments. Boston won't go. I think it was nine of 15 from corner threes again. Right. And I'm, and I was like, no, that they might. <laughs> With the way that you're defending them, they might. I mean, the Raptors, the Raptors shot really poorly, 37% from field goal, 25 from three. Uh, the Celtics shot really well, especially Marcus Smart. Um, Josh, can you speak to what you saw the Celtics doing on offense that um, helped them get open shots, especially in the corners?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, Jared Weiss, I think, hit the nail on the head in his most recent article with the Athletic, talking about um, Stevens saying that the ball needs to pop; it's got to move around. You got to get swings, and you got to get the swing all the way to the corner because that corner three is the one that stretches their like rotation happy defense the most. And we got open looks, and we hit, we knocked them down. I mean, um, but that was a point of emphasis from the, the coach as a way to to beat this team. Stevens said. Isolation basketball is not going to get it done against this defense. You know the ball's got to move. So I, I think there are, you know, these things are simple. I think the corner three is is something that needs to be emphasized more by teams. Um, you know, I don't think college, I don't think college coaches emphasize that enough. It feels like something that is is the NBA is doing, where they're just like, you need to hit this corner three. And that's all you need to do for us. Like, they'll literally tell guys that. And those guys will go out and they'll shoot just that shot and they'll knock it down in games and it'll get them big contracts. And it's like this, the more you move that ball and move the defense, it's it's the oldest trick in the book. Like, that's what moves the defense, moving the ball around and really stretching it all the way to the corners.
0: And it sounded like he had, um, Stevens had Tice coming out, setting screens far higher up, allowing, forcing the bigs on the Raptors to guard either guard on the perimeter
1: or just to, to stay back. And right, because the Raptors it. are trying to go over the screens because Kemba's a good shooter because our guys are good shooters, so you can't go under them and let them shoot. You got to trail over and try to force them into the three-point line. But obviously, our guys, a lot of times, you're just taking that three-point shot anyway and maybe getting fouled from behind. So they're they're if we set the screens even higher up, are they still going to go over them? You know, now we get a huge running start to that three point jumper.
0: And this is this is like the evolution of the NBA. These are this is the minutiae of how the pace and space game with with these players that Josh you've talked about are operating in a new space, shooting from such distance that it it makes it even harder to be a big man in this game. You have to be so mobile.
1: Yeah, especially defensively. What I was saying before about Tice, you know, coaches will talk and they'll say, you can't send your five man to go cover the corner three-pointer, like you're you're screwing yourself if you do that because you're now he's going to go close out. He's done. He's not going to be able to get back into the play after that if the rotation continues. Whereas you know wings are expected to do that. So the mobility factor defensively is just huge. Um, you should have asked the, the that's a Rap podcast if they would have had a better chance in this game if they had Damon Stoudemire, I don't know Sam Mitchell, Zan Tabak. On their squad, you think? Are you looking at the roster from
2: Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Knicks roster from Eddie is on Tabak?
1: <laughs> I think this is the, the inaugural season roster for the. Uh, Josh, oh, I'm not looking at anything. This is off the cuff. This is off the dome, Adam.
0: Wow. Um, yeah, but look,
1: so. Well, how how dare you not
2: include Antonio Davis? Is all I can say.
0: Josh, let me ask you this: the first quarter, I, I thought, I mean, Doris was on point all game. She she talked about time, the Time Lord thing, explained that to a national audience. Um, yeah, and that she, was clearly the highlight of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I I hadn't been aware that that Danny Ainge was trying to uh, make that stop.
2: That was in, like, November. I remember Scalabrini bringing it up and just being like, nah. <laughs> like no, I, Ainge, no. Yeah, no, Ainge had... was definitely trying to
1: squash that. But Doris also said had about the, the first quarter... Had, hold on, I had... I had the local Toronto Raptors broadcast, so I don't know what Doris was saying. What did she say about Time Lord? Oh, she's just
0: some the other announcer asked um, why he's called that, and she explained the story like she was completely up to date on it. She didn't she didn't grab
2: the Doctor Who reference piece, but she uh she she nailed him being late to like the first three professional requirements of his career, <laughs> and then the the players getting on him with the Time Lord nickname after that um so,
0: but my question anyway Josh, go on adam <laughs> the first she also said about the first quarter about the raptors played too too much fouling and too many turnovers she was exactly right and the fouling i mean i the raptors fans are blaming the refs right now for the first quarter performance and i thought they got a tough whistle as well in the first quarter and the rest of the game was pretty even so my question is did do you think they got a bad whistle from the refs and, and like what do you make of the first quarter?
1: That Did they just come out flat? Yeah, so the they definitely got a weird whistle in the first quarter. I mean, the Celtics show up with all their size, the guard and the wing spots, and they're hitting every shot they take, and they're getting after it on defense with the ball pressure that Brad Stevens has been preaching all season long. And then you combine that with these weird whistles that they're getting, and that shifts their confidence. I mean, the Toronto broadcasters were talking about how they – They didn't come out. The Raptors didn't come out as the aggressor. Um, So, you know, there was a little bit of that as well. But, you know, I can't blame the refs for everything. But I was noticing it like this is like why like is this game fixed? Like in the Celtics favor, it was that bad, I felt like, at least in the first quarter. And then the start of the second quarter was starting to be called even and they called it differently. It wasn't as ticky tack. They were letting things go, which is just so confusing. Um, and I don't know why the refereeing hasn't been as good in the bubble, but it, to me, that's the way it's been. Um, they, they let Tice like,
0: play in the first
1: quarter, too. Oddly, they never do that, yeah. But he still picked up two fouls in that quarter. Um, but you know, as they say, it, when when the game starts like that, that's a wrap. Wow, I'm so sorry, no, the turnover. The turnover the turnovers were a big deal the Celtics had 22 23 turnovers in that game only 14 for the Raptors that's right so that's actually the thing that I'm going to be monitoring more and and I don't know if you guys noticed but these were some weird turnovers they were just like completely unforced live ball and then and then that person would turn it over unforced live ball going the other way it was remind me of uh, of California Junior college
0: basketball a little bit it was surprising how few points the Raptors got given how many turnovers the Celtics had. The The Raptors are the number one team in the league in fast break points, which is why I was screaming at the television the three times I saw Jason Tatum, just in the second stop on offense, after two times after it was tossing up a ridiculous shot. One time I think that it was somebody else shooting a three that he went in for a rebound and thought he got fouled. He stops, complains to the refs, and did not run back on defense. Josh, can't we bench this guy? <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, right. there were there, one of my
2: favorite um moments related to that was I, I think Tatum hit like a tough fall away, was on the ground complaining he got fouled, and you could hear Stevens being like, get back, and just shouting and waving for him to get up and, and run back. Um yeah, his his complaining to the rest. We've talked about it before. It's 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 definitely a habit he needs to break. It's it's inexcusable. Uh, but it's you a know, distraction. He brings he brings, he brings one or two good traits that that generally offset it. I'd say. And, but, and
1: I'm wondering if you're in the film session, is Tatum like, yeah, but coach, how many times did I not actually get back into the play when I needed to be there? Because I feel like he always ends up back in the play when he needs to be there. I don't. know uh, There were like one or two where he didn't, by. for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but look, this may be a result of of it being the first game back. You know, all these turnovers after an emotional 4 days you know there there had to have been some rust to get off i feel like um, and i'm but i'm really curious i'm monitoring the turnovers in this next game that's like number 1 for me um, because i think that could really hurt the celtics if they're as loose with the ball as they were and i didn't even notice they had 22 23 turnovers almost twice as much as the raptors yeah and the
0: raptors i think caused some of that they they were physical on defense and 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 they were they were tough. You could see why. I mean, there were a number of plays where they really got in the bodies of the Celtics. I thought Tatum struggled a little bit with um, the physical defense that he had to deal with. Um, Marcus Smart shot lights out in this game. He doesn't do that. He's not, I don't expect that to happen in the future. Um, Is that going to be a problem for us? He shot five of nine from three.
2: Well, I mean, so I, Tatum had some, some weak moments this game, but he also probably had his best game against the Raptors all season. Um, overall um, Marcus smart, you know, you can't count on, on him getting 21 points, but consistently, but he'll probably have a couple games over the rest of the series. And that universe on the flip side, Jalen Brown had a pretty rough game. When, um, and he played quite well against the Raptors all year. So that you know between him and Marcus Smart, you can probably get more or less what they gave you this game, somewhat consistently. You know Marcus Smart is going to keep putting up shots with with the additional playing time. So yep. so whether he's more on the whatever he was ten for eighteen or whatever or six for eighteen like Jalen Brown was this game, uh, that's that's going to be the question. But he'll 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 he won't be shy. Um, you know we haven't really talked about him yet, but Kemba Walker was kind of. The engine. i I think one of the one of the things that killed us in the second quarter, and uh, hopefully an adjustment that Stevens makes is we really felt having both Kemba and Marcus Smart off the floor in the second quarter, and mm-hmm. that our offense ground to a halt. And i think I don't think there's a reason for us to be in that situation over the duration of the series. One of them should always be on the floor with Wanamaker. Um, when Wanamaker's in, uh, and I just don't, I think we talked about last week with that, that's a rap podcast crew, why the Raptors are not a great matchup for Tatum to kind of be the prim- primary guy. They kind of play to all of his weaknesses. He, he wants to try to put it on the floor. He's going to go into a crowd. They have good athleticism, length and strength, and he's going to kind of try to force the issue too much. And that's what we saw with that second quarter offense when the Raptors really did have a chance if they hit one or two of those open threes uh, to make it a super competitive ball game the rest of the
1: way. Josh, thoughts on that? Um, well, you mentioned Kemba. I think that my favorite, and this is like the lamest thing I could say, but my favorite play or series of plays um, was Kemba getting the huddles together in the beginning of the game. Um, you know, he was coaching up Tyson the first time out, um in the first quarter and then Robert Williams was looking to Kemba after a defensive ball screen action where uh Time Lord was supposed to call the ice and didn't and then you know right away looked to Kemba after the play and Kemba went up to him and and they huddled up um and that's huge for a guy you know Time Lord who hasn't had a high basketball IQ so far in his short career um and it's a huge thing for a team that needs to rely on young players to communicate and learn quickly um you know, because our bench needs help right now. So Kemba doing that and getting guys on the same page and really being a communicator, as a coach, I love that. Just love it.
0: Off the bench in, today, in this game, Brad Wanamaker played 28 minutes and played well, 2 of 4 from 3. Rob Williams, 19 minutes. He's getting a lot of credit, 10 points, 5 boards. Ojale played 23 minutes, 1 of 5 from the floor. Uh, and a little bit sprinkling of Grant Williams in there as well. But basically it's Shemi... Time Lord and Wanamaker. What did you guys see from Rob Williams in this game?
2: I, I mean, you know, we, we we get teased by the... Rob Williams could be, aside from the three-point shooting, like a better version of of Daniel Tice. But he's like five years away and needs to stay healthy and, and learn a lot of the game. But, he, you know, he's just so mobile. There were a couple of just as basic as you can get, pick and rolls with him and Kemba and he just dunked over the dude that was supposed to be preventing him from getting to the hoop because he's so athletic and bouncy. Um, He, he had a number of uh, good blocks. He had uh, an awesome almost block that was actually just a foul on Norman Powell. Um, I I mean, he's, and you, you remember kind of when, when the Celtics season started, what feels like, years ago was, in fact, basically a year ago. Um, uh, and and Rob Williams was healthy and playing really well. And, and you know, it was enticing what what could be uh, for this team this year with him getting 82 games of run uh, to develop good habits and, and learn the game a bit better. But, you know, it's exciting. And I'm glad he did get off, you know, not only got off the bench, but performed well because, as I said last week, I was afraid that he was going to be. He was going to be basically buried after the way the, the Philly series went.
0: I mean, you knew I wanted him in, in this game guarding uh, Serge Ibaka, and he's getting a lot of credit um, for his counting stats, uh, but he looked lost on both offense and defense a number of times. He he came in the game, he was the first off the bench, and Ibaka immediately drained two threes in his eye. The first one, Time Lord slacked off. The second, it looked like he was playing drop coverage on the pick and roll, which... Uh, I don't. I don't think that's what they were supposed to be doing. I could be wrong. Um, and then, yeah, but he had. And then on the next he one, had, he just yeah. dropped in the pick and roll again, and then had to scramble on a closeout. Like Abaka can shoot the three. You you want that's why he's in the game is because he can close out. He he was just doing a poor job of doing that. He continued into the third quarter. He looked kind of gassed and just out of it at different points. Uh, I heard somebody else say it's amazing how well he played considering how. Uh, how low his IQ is at this point. Um, Josh, what are you, what are you seeing? Where
1: do you fall on this? Yeah, he's, he's potentially trade bait because he's such a tease that we don't know if you can rely on him or not. Or maybe he's just a year away from being two years away. And if we wait, you know, he's, he'll actually be like a stud potentially or or a Capella. Um, But right now, you know, yeah, I mean, but look, it, they say it takes big men the longest to figure it out and to uh, mature their games and, and their IQ and stuff. Like, he's being asked to do some things he was never asked to do before. Just out of raw athleticism, he could recover and always block the shot at every level he's played at before now. So he, ter- he turns
2: 23 in
0: October. Okay. Sure. I'm, just, I'm thinking about like uh, his so- second contract. What is that? We have to decide about that next year. What does that look like if we're trying to it, keep- Well, look,
2: I mean, with age. It's going to be a super favorable contract if we keep him like i i would be all about getting this guy on a multi-year five four five six million dollar a year contract yeah agreed because it's going to be tradable in two or three years if we need to or he's going to way outperform it by year three like he i i think he has Boundless potential that jump shot is is very crooked, but he pulled it out once in the, before in the remaining regular season games. Uh, I don't think it's it improved, one in, but it's improved. Um, you know, it, I, I think his offensive game, if it is limited to just being a vertical threat, that has a lot of value in and of itself. He is fast enough, athletic enough that if he does get a bit more seasoned in his reads, and, and sometimes it, I don't know that it's always, Low basketball IQ, so much as low basketball discipline. Like, you know, you see some of his mm-hmm. passes, he reads the floor really well, but he kind of does it like very quickly and doesn't always pace his reads in, in the actual flow of the game and sync think, think things up with doing what's needed when. And you can argue that's IQ. I, I would, and sometimes I think it is, but sometimes I think it's just like, it's just a bit of maturity and discipline.
1: His passes are spasms with his body, but like his vision. (laughs) He's just like, (laughs) yeah, but look, he's, but he sees these off angles
2: that are pretty sophisticated when he's spasming. Like that's the weird thing with him. We're not,
1: yeah, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Robert Williams' jump shot or his passing ability on this podcast quite yet. I just speak can't for yourself. Happen. Speak for oh, yourself, Josh. So <laughs> I am. I am speaking. I'm speaking for the Celtics Pride Podcast. We're nope, not spending yourself. too much time on that. But <laughs> but this guy, this is a guy who could change a playoff game and therefore a playoff series. Like this guy, if he's on on one of these days, like you know, it's it's a whole different dynamic. You can see the guards love playing with him because of the lob threat. You know, they're throwing that lob anyway to Tice, but they're not, not sure he's going to catch it every time. Um, and they're just having fun when when big time lord's out there. And Mike, you, you said it earlier that he's been playing enticing. And I think he, he's been doing that Tice thing where he goes and rolls and seals the man for the lob so that the guard can just weave all the way to the bucket. And, and the secondary defender, that help defender, is now sealed by Williams. And it puts him in perfect rebound position because he's got the inside spot. So... Um, it's like, okay, there you go. You're doing a high IQ thing you see Daniel Tice doing, and boom, all of a sudden now your IQ is, is being raised just because you're copying somebody else. Keep it up. Who was your favorite bench player in this game for the Celtics?
0: I liked Wanamaker. Hard question.
1: Wanamaker played really well in this game.
0: Uh, I love how he's assertively taking threes and making enough of them to warrant his play. He we're not missing a ton on defense when he comes in the game, and I think that's the most important thing. I think the matchups benefit him because he's got two small guards that he can go after, but he's he's playing well.
2: I think uh aside from Josh, I think everyone values Wanamaker off the bench.
1: <laughs> Josh so for some reason. My favorite like bench player from game With, one for the Boston. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. I think that Wanamaker is a good fit for this series in particular because there's small, stocky guards, similar build as him, not too explosive or quick. Um and this is the series that maybe is this the series that makes Wanamaker worth it?
2: I mean Wanamaker's been really good all season, so I don't I don't really understand your question, eh, but sure. Come on now. Sure. Let's say this let's say this is the series that makes him worth it.
0: Wanamaker <laughs> Last Wanamaker's performance last year made him worth it. I mean, if what well, depends on what it is, if you're talking about his contract or his roster spot, no, his spot, minutes.
1: No, the problem is not
0: game. Wanamaker, the problem is that we don't have anybody else that's better than Wanamaker. It's the other players that are the issue,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, though, I thought I, I don't know that he was my favorite guy off the bench, uh, but I really did like what Grant Williams did when in the limited time he got out there. I still don't understand why Shemi is getting the minutes he's getting over Grant Williams, given who Shemi's guarding anyways. Like Grant Williams, both was shutting down Serge Ibaka when he was guarding him as well as he wasn't it, I think it was Fred Van Vliet tried to take him off the dribble and he just stayed with him and blocked him. Like Grant Williams, we talked a lot at the beginning of the season about his concerning kind of um lateral mobility and and ability to stay with quicker guys from the perimeter. I since the bubble, I think he's looked really good on that. He's had a number of times where guys have tried to take him off the dribble and he stayed with them and gotten a block at the rim. He's he's kind of a better leaper than you expect. And he's, you know, as high an IQ player as anybody on the team, certainly in the bench. Um maybe maybe you know not not necessarily on the starter level, but on the bench. So, I don't know. Uh, someone, can can either of you explain to me why Grant got eight minutes and Shemi got 23?
0: Uh, I have two two potential responses. One is that we're preparing Ojale by guarding and bodying hard uh, Siakam. We're just getting him some run and preparing him for the next series against Giannis. And the other is the potential that Shemi Ojale has incriminating information on Brad Stevens <laughs> that he's blackmailing him with.
2: Is it I'd even in the correct.
0: universe of
1: possibility that
2: <laughs> Brad Stevens... There are, there's anything remotely incriminating out there about Brad Stevens?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's the choir boys you really got to watch out for. That's now. true. That's right. true.
2: Um, I did... My, my favorite Shemi Ojole moment of the game was when he had a little mini temper tantrum when his... Th- Corner open corner three that went in was waved off because the foul by Serge Ibaka the flagrant by Serge Ibaka and Daniel Tice happened before the release, and he'd like he when he realized it happened he's just started jumping up and down and yelling at the ref. I was like, oh Shemi, it does mean a lot for you when you get one of those threes to fall, but (laughs) calm down.
0: I'm tired. I'm tired of watching his lower body contort in a different way than his upper body when he shoots a three with zero rhythm. Like can we get him like some music playing in his head when he's shooting? He's got no rhythm.
2: Well that's why I watched the game and I can't remember maybe one of you guys have already said this but he's got to be just a bad dancer, right?
1: He's got to be. <laughs> oh boy. Well the incredible hulk cannot shoot corner threes either. I think it's just too much muscle. I think I think that has to play a role. When you're slamming those weights around and that's your story and there's nothing about what happens on the basketball court. There's a problem. That's that's actually a problem. We all know that Grant Williams can make one out of every three three pointers as well. And I I think what it comes down to, Adam, you're right. It's those two things. He's got the incriminating evidence on Stevens, and he, you know, Stevens trusts him and wants him to be prepped for Giannis. So you know, you're putting him on the 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 Toronto's Giannis on Siakam, but you know, the other guy who can't shoot but is a pretty dominant player. Um, so it's. It's ridiculous to me that they're not playing Grant Williams. There's other rookies getting trust in the playoffs. Um, Grant Williams has earned that trust throughout the year and you've seen Brad Stevens display that he trusts, Grant Williams. Um, and it's like it's got to be just a matter of time before Stevens sees him miss enough threes for it not to warrant him being out there on defense. and it's just the the line for that, the border of that is just so far from where it needs to be, I think for Stevens. Um, that's my big complaint about Brad Stevens. I got a complaint about the coach of the year as well. Nick Nurse, why are you not playing Terrence Davis? You need to play him more. That's If if I'm coaching Toronto, I feel like this is a guy who's who would be a third guard on plenty of NBA teams. Like if the Portland Trailblazers had Terrence Davis instead of Anthony Simons, it would be a whole other world for them, I feel like. This guy is a, a dog on defense. He plays hard. He hits shots. Uh, he's a real dude i think he, you got to play him more um that's one of the big adjustments i think toronto should make as well as obviously talking to siakam about the celtics are taking charges on you so find some better moves Gasol? i
2: mean i oh uh, well i we might be going in the same direction here but i like i so i was looking at well, at, at pulling these stats up when we were earlier earlier on there's only one player on the Raptors in the regular season that had a positive net rating in the regular season. And he played about 20 minutes a game in three games. You know who that is? Boucher. That's right. Chris Boucher. Now that was probably almost entirely from their one win when for some reason, I think that was a Christmas day game and he just he was like a dominant force um but chris boucher i mentioned this i think last week he he reminds me of um tom McKerr. and Thom McCurr always gives us trouble or gave us trouble against the bucks and chris boucher is that same like weird long athletic scrappy type of player that just kind of mucks up some of the 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 seamless motion and movement in the the Brad Stevens offense. Terrence Davis to your point Josh was the only other player within spitting distance of just a neutral net rating. He had a and he played 17 minutes a game in the regular season against the Celtics. His net <laughs> rating was negative 0. 0.1. Yeah, this is versus the Celtics specifically. And everybody yeah. else was bad basically uh siakam negative 22 uh serge Ibaka 22.7 so um i i mean
1: so if let i me ask you this, my Mike...
2: takeaway well my takeaway from the game would be i don't think think marcus all belongs in this series if right. i'm the raptors and i would i would go small
1: fast forward next year is are, are terrence davis and boucher now in the rotation because you may have one or both of Ibaka and Gasol gone, and they're just going small. Like, what does this team look like next year? Let's say they lose to the Celtics, and we automatically start going into, you know, what without jinxing it, you know, we automatically go into like we did with the Sixers. How do they need to change their team now? It's the well, off-season, before, right? That's the
0: offense. Well, before
2: I want to hear what Adam was going to say about Marcus Saul, because I have thoughts on that question, but I'm curious how, how it relates to what Mar- Adam was going to say about Marcus Saul.
0: I have a major question about whether Marcus is playable in this series. I think that they should. Yeah, be, he, so we were going in the same direction. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't think Boucher got run because his numbers against every other team except the Celtics were, were nothing close to what you described. <laughs> no, they were terrible. No, that it that it doesn't ma- it defies logic. But it was the same with McCurr. So but maybe this is a series for for Boucher, and it's exactly. maybe it's not for Gasol. And so Gasol got 26 minutes, and I don't think he should get any more than 15. Like you play him, you tell him to shoot a couple threes, you you run the offense through him a little bit. Uh, maybe he's coming off the bench, but Ibaka stretches the floor. We, you know, I think I think he gives us trouble with pick and roll because he he forces uh, someone to guard him, and we we called him the X factor in this series. I would be giving him 35 minutes a night. Uh, maybe he's too old since he's so much older than his reported age uh, to get that level of run. But uh, I would be playing him a ton.
2: Yeah, I would be much more afraid of the Raptors rotation if it was 15 minutes or less of Gasol and all that time went to Abaca And then you got more Boucher and Davis because it makes them faster, more athletic, more switchable. It, it, it makes them better able to kind of contain especially like someone like Kemba who even though they were kind of um crashing him around sc- screens that he's still so fast and quick he's able to kind of get around that a lot of the time and put pressure on them.
1: Uh, so Ibaka if Ibaka like I, I don't know what he's shooting from 3 I think it's like around 40% though it's a really high percentage from 3. But I feel For like the he's regular the type of season guy, or the playoffs. I don't know. What do you got?
2: neither yet but i'll look it up <laughs> i'll get i'll give you both give me a minute so,
1: ibaka seems like a guy to me like he's shooting a great percentage from three but i don't know if if he's shooting like more than four five six threes in a game is he gonna still hit at that clip
2: well he he's shooting 52 yeah 52 percent from three on fourth 4.23 a game in the playoffs in the regular season it was thirty-eight point five percent from three.
1: If she's shooting eight threes a game, I don't think that he's making the same clip as when he's shooting four threes a game. Like he'll hit a couple, but you don't want to leave him open and let him. Like the Celtics will still let him shoot those. The fact that Robert Williams got those two splashed in his face immediately after checking into the game—it's not a huge dilemma for me because I don't see Ibaka making six threes in a game or five threes in a game I just don't you would continue playing Gasol no I I would I think that you'd want to play a more I just think that there's a cap on his effectiveness I think that he looks really good in the role he's in but at least from a from you know from the perspective of stretching the floor I don't think he's really that floor spacer that you know, that you guys are making him out to be or that he would need to be to kill the Celtics.
0: No, it's that he does a lot of other things well, too. He defends really well. He's more mobile than Gasol, and that's been the the huge thing here. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the replay of Kemba Walker's, uh, I think it was the end of the half, the three that he made, that was a direct result of Gasol just playing terrible, lazy defense. So Gasol... I
2: mean, it's not it's not lazy if you're physically unable to do something required in the moment. No, on that in case,
0: <laughs> if, if you watch the replay on that case, he was not trying. I did not watch the
2: replay
1: that closely, so... Gasol was a player that I watched when he before he came over... Um, to you know to the nba he I watched him in the, it was an all-star game the euro cup all-star game god i don't remember what what year 2011 or something like that um and he wasn't the most mobile i was there to to write a report on him for NBA nbadraft.net and it was one of the more wrong reports i've ever had you know i called him a second rounder and said that he just he wasn't was, mobile enough to was, play in yeah. Yeah, he was a second rounder, but he didn't play like a second rounder when he was winning Defensive Player of the Year award, and an, as an all. He
2: thrived on a team that was like completely anathema to what the NBA has evolved into, right? Like, so you, maybe you, you weren't me? so wrong. No, I didn't call you anything. <laughs> uh,
1: what, the Grizzlies.
2: I, I called the Grizzlies anathema <laughs>
1: to the the rest. And of that word means what?
2: That not like un unlike uh, dissimilar um there you go yeah you know they were they were right so he he found a home but maybe one of the few homes where he he could really be maximized by by the the kind of synergy he had with conley on offense and their kind of high iq two-man game and then on defense just having a bunch of you know literally gritty gritty defenders that that ground the game to a halt halt um and he had like, well, a, you know, Tony Allen and somehow he, they made a pairing of him and and Zebo functional, which in this, you know, <laughs> if you ran that out on a court this year, they would be probably one of the worst teams in the league. So he was just kind of in the right place at the right time.
1: He was also doing that, that Sabonis, Vlade Divac, Chris Webber stuff from the elbow and the high post and really like you would run their, your offense through him. And oh, yeah. You're not doing that anymore. And, you know, he's not hitting threes at, at the ability that he had before. Um, well, so I just, but, but here's just the thing. Just real quick about on Gasol. that. Just
2: real quick on those threes, just for you. I just looked that up and he and Abaka had the same three point percentage in the regular season at 38.5%. But in the playoffs, while Abaka is shooting 52% so far and obviously it's a super small sample, uh, Gasol is shooting at like 22%, 21% uh, from three in the playoffs. And so, yeah, if Gasol's not hitting threes in the playoffs, it's you can't play him.
1: Yeah, his confidence from three is at twenty-two percent as well. You know, these are the counting stats that really matter. Um, you know, uh, if you're a advanced stats geek, you, you can't not pay attention to just field goal and three point percentages specifically, um, because it, it shows you what what has been happening recently. Um, but here's the thing about Gasol. The the Raptors after that brutal referee in the first quarter, they came back at the beginning of the second quarter in a zone, and that's where Gasol really strives, um, thrives, and he's he's you know just just as an anchor to that type of a defense that he was playing as a kid in Europe growing up, um, you know that zone affected the Celtics for a few minutes there, and that's one selling point to having him in your rotation or, or doing that when he's in the game.
0: Both players are people that I am hoping the Celtics go after this offseason. So as you watch them in this game, they're both free agents, Ibaka and Gasol. Look out as potential members of the Celtics next year. Um, Wait, really? They are both free agents, yep. We're not going to have any money. You want us to spend
2: what little money we have on one of them? I don't think they're going to be expensive. Yeah, But we're not going to have anything, right? I mean... Hayward's going to opt in and that's going to chew up whatever we would have had. We're,
0: we're not going to get into the cap right now. We don't even, we can't even. No, I don't I get. can't
2: even under, it like blows my brain up to try to even think about what the cap would look like. I but, just yeah. assume we won't have money.
1: A free agency Mike, will happen Mike, at some point. Adam loves Gasol and Ibaka. Mike. And he needs to profess his love he's, on he's, the Celtics Pride podcast. He's
2: living, he's living in 2005 or whatever, 2011. When were they both really good? 2011. I feel like that's right. He's
1: that's, living that's when, in... in Around when the Thunder went to the championship. <laughs> he's living in 2018 when Gasol was a free agent and we both wanted the Celtics to get Gasol back then. But now, no, not now. I wish I was living in 2018 still. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, I think I, think I actually... I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think I'd actually rather have Cantor than Gasol right now.
1: Can we can we actually have a moment of silence for 2018 and just remember for a quick second? It might help everybody listening. <laughs> okay, so here's the most
0: important thing I'm going to say this whole podcast. Okay, Kemba Walker tweaked his knee on that drive against on the Siakams' drive in the second quarter. Oh, he looked hobbled go, for re- the remaining of the second quarter. He drains this buzzer beater at th- a three at the end of the half. Um, he spoke, I can't remember to who Abby Chin was reporting on it, uh, that he basically said, yeah, I tweaked it, that his words, and that he felt some pain immediately afterwards. Um, I was watching him obsessively for the rest of the game. He looked more mobile starting the second half. uh, And I was concerned about whether it would tighten up, uh, after 20 minutes of of rest. Uh, But I did not see his typical burst after the injury. All of his drives were two-thirds to three-quarter speed. Uh, There was one time he did that hard stop on the right leg, pushing back to a step back off of of two feet, which he he drained. Um, I think this injury will impact him the rest of this series. I think he's going to continue to play an important role. He's going to set people up. He'll be a three-point shooter. He'll be a decoy, ball handler, initiator. His pick and roll is incredibly important, Josh, as you mentioned earlier. There's nobody on the other team that can guard him. I think even at three-quarter speed, there's nobody on the other team that he can guard him. But I think he's going to be more of a passer than the scorer that I expected uh, that we would need from him uh, as a result of I don't know about
2: you, Josh, but my only reaction to this is I feel like Adam, you are totally overreacting to this, and
1: it's not going to be a big deal for Kemba. I mean, <laughs> thank you, Mike. You know, Adam. In the 1950s, they would teach schoolchildren that in the case of the atom bomb alert, you need to get under a desk, and if you can't do that, you need to put a hardcover book over your head and sit down. Are you suggesting I do that? You're catastrophizing. <laughs> You're catastrophizing in in a completely illogical way right now. It is not time to get under the desks or to freak out about Kemba's injury. I'm sorry, but he's going to have to out. do some scoring. I just, he's going to have to do some scoring without Gordon Hayward in the lineup, uh, and to pick up the slack when when one of the other youngsters doesn't have it. Um, and he's it's going to be the exact same thing as it always was, which is let's let's take it as it comes to us. And when you can blow by your man, you blow by your man, even if you tweaked your knee the other day. Like it's I don't think it's really like what did you see that he. He tried to do it and couldn't. Or how did you see him being passive? To you? What plays were it you It wasn't noticing? that
0: he was being passive. He just didn't uh, push off in the way that he normally does. He didn't have the normal burst and agility off of his left leg that he normally does. His game is predicated on quickness. It's a lot of start and stop. It's getting his his defender moving one way and then shifting the other. And it was just a, it was slower. I'm not saying he's going to miss time. I'm not saying that he's not going to... Have good counting stats, I, but I think it's he's he's not going to ha- be the same level of impact scorer. I think he's going to need to be more of a shooter, decoy, ball handler, passer, than the dynamic in, uh, scorer one-on-one that he normally is. I'm just reporting what I'm seeing.
2: Yeah, I still, I I still don't. I mean, I when it happened, I thought it was being overblown by the broadcast. It looked like you know, I think. Doris Burke said he hyperextended his knee. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's a gamer. He didn't uh, leave before the game. this season. He barely, yeah, he barely ever missed a game. I'm, I'm just looking now. Uh, he had on during the Monday Celtics practice. He had no restrictions. Um, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't agree. I, uh, my, my guess is that he will look just like Campbell Walker. Uh, and I think regardless of of the level of burst he has, he, we need him to be a guy getting, close, you know, skewing higher on the assist side versus the point side in this series because he's the one that can can break the defense by himself. We don't have anybody else that can do that, and he can he can get the defense in rotation and, and set guys up, especially Jalen, um, Marcus Smart to a degree, and and Tatum, uh, if he will. Uh, Resists the temptation just to slow it down and go ISO. Uh, he can get them in favorable situations by getting the ball in rotation and and letting them attack guys on the move.
0: I hope I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, if Kemba had left the game and you know came back in with a a wrap on his leg or you know he didn't need that kind of immediate medical attention. So I just think it's a little bit. Uh, there's enough fear being spread around right now. We don't need yeah.
2: you. Power of positive thinking, yeah. Adam.
1: He's a he's a tough New York City
0: point guard who's in his first meaningful playoffs of his career. Of course, he's not coming out of the game unless he really has
1: to. There you go. Yeah. All right, that's better.
0: Um, also, on the injury front, there's a report that Gordon Hayward's rehab is going quote
1: okay, according to Brad Stevens. Does this matter? No. Uh, I- yeah, that is not that is not excellent, and we need to start freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about Gordon Hayward right now. I'm sorry. I'm going to be real. Gordon, we love you, but you're not even in the bubble right now. We can't think about you. When you're back, we'll think about you. Did you sorry. miss him at the, in the last game? I didn't. No.
2: No, it's hard to miss. It's hard. I mean, the last game was not necessarily indicative, but it's hard to miss anyone when your team wins by 18 points or whatever we won by. Yeah, 18. So... Uh, we'll see, you know, if all of a sudden we find ourselves down like three-two, I'll start missing him. <laughs> but if we win in five or six, then it'll be fine.
1: This is this is a this is um
2: a- are the Celtics better without Gordon Hayward?
1: Yeah, right. Go <laughs> <laughs> discuss. <laughs> uh, Toronto's got a ton of heart. They're not going to lay down. This is this is a defensively equal series. Uh, it will continue to be that kind of a matchup. I'm not expecting game two to be like game one. Game two is going to be a battle. And simply from the fact that if the refs don't do the Raptors like they did in the first quarter of last game, like we're going to actually see what the Raptors can do on equal footing. <sighs> that didn't decide the game, but it completely set the tone. And I don't see that happening again in, in game two. Uh, this is this is going to be a better series as the games go on, I think. So, uh, I, you know sometimes it's hard to believe what kind of reality we're living in these days. And I I feel like the reality of game one was not the actual reality of this matchup or this series.
2: Well, I think what's exciting, I mean, so first I I agree, the series is going to get more and more intense as it goes, but I think, I think there's two things. One, you know, Kyle Lowry won five for 12, Fred Van Vliet won three for 16. um, And then they, they went one for five and two for 11 from three respectively. And those guys terrify me every time they're shooting a three, even if it's not open for the most part, because they have hit big shot after big shot after big shot against contested tough defense in the playoffs, um, You know, particularly in the last couple of years. So I expect them to play better. And the other thing is, and we talked about this last week uh, with That's a Wrap, is you've got two of the best coaches in the game going head-to-head. So they played their kind of firsthand. Now they have two days in the back in the lab, in the coach's lab, getting to figure out their new scheme and their, their adjustments. I'm really interested to see kind of the, the crazy stuff that Nick Nurse starts throwing at us. I, I expect there's going to be all sorts of weird kind of zones tossed into man defense schemes. I would not be surprised if if some of the rotation changes we talked about start getting actualized, whether that's more Chris Boucher, whether that's more Terrence Davis. Though so I would expect something like a Chris Boucher adjustment to be later in the series of the Raptors start getting more desperate, but um so but I you know I fully agree, Josh. I think we're gonna see uh some really interesting and, and very tough uh games over the over the remainder of the series. What do you think, Adam?
1: Game two, five forty PM Tuesday night, uh, the this Raptors team um, and the Celtics team, obviously two of the greatest coaches in the game, and and I I kind of want to pour some water on this whole thing of like all these media members just talking about like like it's, like they have a like a beautiful mind that movie like these coaches are the the geniuses of today's like this is going to come down to the players, not the coaches. Sorry, sorry to break it to you. Uh, but you got a, a scrappy little team against a team with more size and more athleticism uh, with, with higher-end stars. And that's what it's going to come down to. As much as Nick Nurse or Brad Stevens wants to finick with their teams and, and the strategies, players are going to win this. I don't know. Nick Nurse wins Coach of the Year, and then Brad Stevens. Did he want it more? He
0: outcoaches out him in Game 1. Should Brad Stevens have won Coach of the Year? Does Shemi Delay know something about this that we don't?
1: More next
0: time on Celtic Pride. Yeah, right. we'll
2: we'll go really deep on Shemi Delay again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, that's a wrap, Josh.
1: That's a wrap. Oh boy.